Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, I tell you, they say boxers just don't fight enough these days. They don't fight frequently enough. But I sat down to watch Showtime Championship Boxing on Saturday night. There was a crazy good fight. And then before I could even go and get a beer, those same guys were at it again. And then after a brief pause, they had a third fight. An entire fight card with just two guys. And it was fantastic. I heard rumors that they fought a fourth time, but I don't believe it. And I choose not to believe it personally. (laughs) But I would like to see more of that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's remarkable. And uh, not just you're talking, of course, about uh, Israel Vasquez and Rafael Marquez. And the fact that uh, not only did they jump right back in there, but how quickly their faces healed up. Uh, I mean, it was just like with, within technology. within a matter of minute, uh, a minute or two, uh, suddenly these guys are looking fresh again. Yeah, it's re- remarkable. They don't they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually uh, they, they re-aired the, uh, the the trilogy, of course, on Saturday, and we're recording this on Sunday. And uh, in classic Raskin style, I got through the first two fights, and then I was <laughs> so I, I will be watching the third one also, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. But, I won't uh, tell you what happened. <laughs> I think I remember, and I think I remember loving it, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, but as long as we're talking about things we've been watching, uh, let's uh, follow up on what we did last week. Uh, Kieran, uh, now that you're finished uh, with Parks and Rec, what you watching? So actually, I can scarcely believe that like a week has gone by since we had this discussion, because when I was watching Parks and Rec, I was just cranking those episodes out, and I, and I haven't really got into um, anything else yet. I have started the first couple of episodes of uh, Schitt's Creek, Ah, yes. Seen any of that? So that was my big binge about six months ago. My wife okay. watched watched the whole thing and was loving it. And so once she was done, I decided, all right, I'll give it a chance. And so we are we're all caught up and have been watching the current okay. final season as it's been airing. Yeah. Okay. And the reason that I I finally I heard about it and thought I can't believe that there's a show with Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and I haven't <laughs> watched it. Right. But the thing that got really prompted me to do it is I was prompted to rewatch an old favorite movie of mine, which is Best in Show. Hmm. Um, which is, you know, the full complement of Christopher Guest, your company of players. Um, Guest, Levy and O'Hara, Jane Lynch, Michael McKean, John Michael Higgins, Jennifer Coolidge, Parker Posey. Um, and for those who don't know it, uh, it's a mockumentary about a dog show. Right. And, and the build-up's great as we're introduced to all the different characters and their dogs. But it really, really kicks off um, when, you know, the actual dog show itself starts. It's amazing performance by Fred Willard, who looks to be <laughs> completely just ad-libbing the whole thing. He's this TV host for hire who has no idea about dogs or dog shows or anything and is just completely buffoonish through the whole thing and really just makes the whole movie, I think. Yeah, it's it's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's actually, I had it jotted down a couple weeks ago on our list of like movies we should watch as, as a family that I think my kids would enjoy. So uh, I, I may, when we do the Whatcha Watching segment uh, coming up soon, I might be using that one. Okay. Uh, in the weeks ahead. But uh, in terms of what I watched uh, myself uh, the, the the past week, um, uh, two movies worth mentioning. One with the full family, one not. Uh, the one that uh, I watched by myself, some listeners may already be aware that I watched this because I joined Brian Campbell and Rafe Bartholomew on a podcast about it. They convinced me to watch Brian's all-time favorite action movie, Marked for Death. Uh, okay. I, I went my whole life without ever seeing a single Steven Seagal movie, uh, but now that streak is over. Uh, and I'll just say, I didn't hate it, but I definitely didn't love it. 
And uh, if, if, if you want to know more, uh, listen to the podcast, I guess. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen Marked for Death, no, Kieran? I have yeah. not. Just anything called Marked for Death is just not going to be on my watch list. Sorry, <laughs> yes. Jesse. Suppose not. Um, all right. So then as a full family, I convinced everyone to watch my all-time favorite chick flick, uh, a movie I've probably seen a dozen times, and my wife has seen it many times too, but the kids had never seen it, Notting Hill. Have you seen it? I hate Hugh Grant. <laughs> really? Ed Mulholland and I would have these conversations on the road all the time because he loved Notting Hill. And, mm-hmm. and that's the, the HBO, former HBO boxing photographer. And, right. um, and I would just reply with my just visceral hatred of, of Hugh Grant. I mean, I'm sure he's a lovely fellow, but, like, but those particular roles that he plays. But anyway, don't let me, don't let me dump all over <laughs> your, your so, but so. just So you have not even seen Notting Hill because Correct. of your hatred of Hugh Grant? Okay. Correct. So you saw like four weddings and a funeral and, that was, and you were done with Hugh, Hugh Grant after that or something. And I was fine with that because notwithstanding her terrible acting, I was, I was very into Anne McDowell. But, but right. yeah. Basically, the whole like the, the new act, he's, he's, he's sort of doing these new roles now where he's taking on a bit more of a kind of a bad boy kind of thing. And he's apparently doing quite well with some of that. But the whole bumbling effect, English toff thing, I just couldn't handle it. Anyway, again, don't let me <laughs> step all over your enjoyment of Notting Hill, please. Sure. No, that's fine. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I can see he is definitely playing that sort of character again in this one. So if you're not into that, you might not enjoy the movie. Uh, there is his, his roommate or flatmate uh, in the movie. Uh, Spike is one of my all-time favorite movie characters. Um, and I the, the whole movie just holds up uh, tremendously, and my kids both enjoyed it. Uh, although my son has a bit of uh, peanut gallery disease uh, during movies. He chimes in with his little jokes and comments, and you end up missing a line and, and shushing him. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, he is uh, at least uh, on the plus side. He's now running around repeating uh, my favorite Spike line from the movie, nice firm buttocks. Uh, so that's something, at least. Uh, it's the small victories. Yes. <laughs> All right, we do have some other things to talk about this week. Apart from our TV and movie watching habits, uh, we will dip into the mailbag, thanks to some great questions from uh, you guys. Uh, We will cover such important news as there is in the boxing world, uh, although we have to admit it isn't a lot of it is not particularly uplifting. Uh, There's a lot, unfortunately, about boxers battling COVID-19 and fights being postponed. Uh, That is the way of things, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, But we do, I am pleased to say, have a guest, and he's a good friend of the podcast. Uh, Under normal circumstances, he would be here to look ahead to a Showtime Championship boxing card, but, well, these aren't normal circumstances. But we are very happy anyway to bring you a self-isolating and socially distancing edition of Making Bread with Breadman. Stephen Breadman Edwards, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you guys doing? All right. <laughs> Hanging in there is the, is the three-word phrase I like to use. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, before we get into any boxing questions, we will find some questions to talk about. Uh, a quick personal check-in. How are you doing? Physically, emotionally, I'm, and otherwise I'm, with everything that's I'm going good. on. I'm good. I'm uh, good. I know a couple of people who got the coronavirus, mm. but uh, me personally, I've been self-isolating with my kids. Uh, only time I really leave the house is when I absolutely have to, as far as food shopping is concerned. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've been doing everything I need to do to, uh, you know, hopefully we get through this and everybody stays safe. How are the kids? Do they, um, I mean, how old are they and, and do they have a grasp They're of what's seven going on? and nine. Uh, they get it, you know, uh, they both run track, so their track season is in limbo, mm. but I've been working them out, you know, pri- privately at the park. We go, nobody's out there, you know, we, we work out in the backyard. We just, I mean, 
the thing about human beings, we adjust. Right. You know, like if you look at a movie, you know, based in this 1800s, you say, how could they live back then? Well, if you live back then, you'll adjust. Right. You know, the same way that we adjust now, you know, we, we uh, our adjustment process is evolving, you know, so we'll adjust to whatever you, we have to do until we get through it. That's just how human beings are. You know, uh, any uh, most living creatures are like that. You know, you look at a giraffe. Why does a giraffe have long necks? Because he has to go up high in the trees to eat, you know, right. uh, so it's just, it's just little things. Your 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 mind, your body, everything adjusts to your to your environment. You know, it's a reason why, you know, certain races have more melanin in their skin, and you know, it's just all kinds of little things. So we adjust. We watch a bunch of movies, and you know, play games, and do what we have to do until the scientists and people are a lot smarter than us figure this out and get a vaccine, and we go back to our normal life. Yep. Right. And yeah, you know, obviously the, those scientists, uh, they're the ones who are smarter than us, you know, n- none of us on this call right now are, are epidemiologists. We're all just trying our best to read up and, and listen to what those experts are saying. Um, you talked about, uh, you, you know, you're keeping the, the kids training for track and field the best you can. Uh, I'm curious about boxing training, you know, based on what we know about how COVID-19 is transmitted is there a safe way to train? Uh, you know, are, are boxers and their trainers doing some one-on-one sessions or, or are your fighters just kind of on their own and, and trying to keep from getting out of shape as best they can doing cardio and weights at their home gyms? Um, I had one fighter. I had a kid that fought in New York, March the 7th, named Zachary Ochoa. Mm-hmm. So his mm-hmm. camp was done, you know, and I, uh, New York was just crazy. I actually left right after his fight. I didn't even stay. You know, people were in the lobby walking around with masks on at that time. This was before the actual quarantine, like, was in effect. But I could just feel it up there. So I got my car and drove back to Philly. I had one kid that I was still training afterwards. He just, he's a gym rat. Um, Romeo Cruz, he's only 4-0. But when the quarantine shut the gym down, you know, I kind of, you know, everybody's pretty much on their own until we can get to figure this out. Because I kind of live a little bit far from the gym. Okay. But, you know, you know, guys, here is the time where you find out what a fighter is made of on the inside. Mm-hmm. Because dedication is doing what you're supposed to do in a timely manner. So now it's so much stuff that you can work on. You know, I was just actually telling, you know, I saw um, Julian Williams about maybe about two weeks before the shutdown. And um, I was telling him, I said, buy some gym equipment for your house, inside your house. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it may be a time where you can't leave the house. And it's things that you can do in your house to get yourself ready. You got this nice big house. Turn one of your rooms into a workout room. And it and just so happened we went on uh, uh, um, a pretty much a quarantine. I didn't know that that was going to happen. It was just a general statement. I saw a new house that he bought, and I'm like, turn one of your rooms into a workout <laughs> room. You know, so fighters in general, they have to the, – if you're going to be special in this game, you, you know, it's, it's more than just training when your trainer tells you to train. And you're going to, you guys are going to see it. You're going to see a lot of upsets, a lot of guys come back and they not be right. Because mm. when people say, can the fighters work out, sure they can work out. you telling me you can't run by yourself at 5 o'clock in the morning? Right. Are, are you telling me you can't do a thousand push-ups, a thousand crunches, 
and, 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 and some body weight squats in your house? Are you telling me you can't shadow box and skip rope? Right. Seriously, you don't have to hit pads with your trainers. That that didn't come out until 40 years ago. Boxing been around <laughs> a lot longer than that. You know what I'm saying? You don't. You it's 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 called self dedication. It's so many things that these guys could be doing instead of just sitting around looking at TV. My kids run every other day. There's nobody on the trails where we run. Literally nobody. It's us in in the air. That's it. And that's seven and nine. Now, a lot of their dedication is based on me being their dad. But right. I keep telling them we don't we don't know what's going to happen in track season. My daughter made the um, AAU Junior um, National Olympics last year, mm-hmm. so I'm like, the last thing I want you to do is just have to start out and not be in shape. I don't know what those other little girls in your age group and what their parents are making them do. So we have to work, you know. But my fighters are grown men, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, if they want to be special in this game, here's a chance to get ahead of your competition. Really, it is. There's so many things that you can do as a boxer. Obviously, you can't spar. Okay, that's fine. But it's so much other stuff that you could be doing. If you really want to stay in shape and if you really want to succeed in boxing, you'll use, you'll use this as a way to get ahead of your competition. And if you don't, then what you'll do is you'll fall behind and then you'll be out of shape. And then once things get you know, start going again whenever they start going, maybe the summer, maybe the end of the the end of the summer or beginning of the fall, you won't be in the shape that you need to be in. You know, I I, I don't believe in making excuses. Fighters can do so many different things right now. There's right. a million things that they could do to get their body in shape. And it's self isolation, so you should be able to lock in and really focus on things you want to do. You know, you don't have to learn fancy pad routines and combinations. Ray Robinson didn't hit pads. He worked on shadow boxing, all those combinations that he threw. So when I hear people say, I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's a bunch of stuff that they could do. Some guys are dedicated and some guys aren't. It's just that simple. Right. Um, we had uh, uh, Stephen Espinoza, Showtime Sports president, on the podcast last week. And he said he reckons that um, boxing, will, when it returns, will probably return in empty arenas. Um, but the consensus seems to be that a sport like boxing could maybe return sooner than other sports because, you know, for each for each event, you just need, you know, two athletes, not two teams of athletes. Uh, is that how you see it? And do you think also that the first several weeks or so of fights when they come back will indeed take place without audiences? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I don't know. I mean, he's a lot more qualified to talk than I am. So I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. I know people are going to lose money, but we're all losing money. Maybe mm. they'll start doing some live streams and everybody will pay, you know, three ninety nine or four ninety nine to watch, you know, standard fights. And maybe they'll make their money like that. I don't know. What I'm hoping for is that we come up with a vaccine, you know, and we can kind of beat this thing like we did the SARS or what was mm-hmm. that, Ebola and right. things like that. What I'm hoping for, that this isn't like the flu where the flu mutates, where you have to get a flu shot every year because there's a different strand that comes out. 
what I'm hoping for is that it doesn't mutate. It's just a virus because if it doesn't mutate, it'll kind of be like, I don't know if you guys had it. Remember chicken pox when we were kids? Right, yep, Our kids yep. don't have to go through the chicken pox. Right. But when you, when you get chicken pox, you could only get it once. Right. You know, um, so I'm hoping that it's like that where it's a thing you can only get once. We get a, a vaccine or some kind of antiviral and that's it. It's over with. You know, so I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, Steven Espinoza, you know, he's he's way higher up on the ladder than me. He knows better than I do. But I'm just hoping that it's a thing where we don't have to fight it off every year and get a flu, like a flu shot. We have to get it every year because if it's a one-time deal, I think that society, you know, be able to overcome it rather quickly. Yeah. Another thing that Steven Espinoza said that was that whenever boxing does come back, he's already getting very excited for the deluge of fights that we're going to see. Is is that what you're expecting whenever that time is that we're going to get just big fights one after the other all, all at once when it, when the sport does come back? Uh, that can go two ways. At the top level, the normal time schedule is you fight about every six months. So hopefully they'll try to cram however much time we've lost, which is let's say to be from March up until now, so we lose three months' worth of fights. Hopefully they'll try to cram everybody in the tour schedule so the cards will kind of be stacked the way Don King's cards used to be, right. where you right. have Terry Norris and Simon Brown, Jerome McCullough, Julian Jackson, Azuma <laughs> Nelson, Jesse James Leah. Everybody's all on the same card. So hopefully that will happen. That will be awesome. You know, yeah. I don't know. The way boxing is now, it's like everybody wants to spread fights out instead of, you know, like inactivity is kind of like glorified. Like it's like nobody wants to have the best guys fight just even three times a year. Very rarely do you see that happen. Right. So I'm hoping that it changes the um, the mindset and the perspective of always like pushing for the later dates with boxing instead of the earlier dates. Right. And if if there if there are a lot of fights getting made at once one one thing is is what you said stacked cards could be one way to to get a lot in there there's also been some thinking that boxing would be smart to move off of just saturday nights and and spread itself out with so much competition for sports fans attention at once is that something that you could see that maybe espn tuesday night fights or showtime putting fights on wednesdays or 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 something like that might be a, a, a solution if we have a lot of fights at once um, that's a good idea. You know what I always thought was a good day for boxing? Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in the house. Everybody's like waiting to get their work week started, which which starts on Monday. I think Sunday night is a really, really good night for boxing. Mm. Yeah, as long but, as long um, as you're not up against the NFL. Yeah, obviously, but the <laughs> right. NFL season, you know, you're only you you you're only up against the NFL. If you go, you know, from September to uh, January, you right. know, so, you know, I, I always thought that Sunday, a Sunday night will be really, really good for boxing. And even if you did have to go to the NFL, put it on after the game. Uh, I, I think it will be awesome. But that's a good idea. I didn't think about that. You can kind of get um, make up for the dates by having fights on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And the great thing is, if you do actually have a lot of fights on Sundays, then it would help support with people having to go to work the next morning. It would help support Eric and our my campaign to stop having fight cards go on to like two a.m. Right? You have to you, <laughs> you have to finish man, them earlier. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I think what was that Canelo's fight oh, where yeah, somebody yeah. was Kovalev, like, Kovalev, and it was like some MMA cards yep. and kept the guys in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, insane to me. 
I just can't imagine that. You know, I, I just like, 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 like as as high as a level as those guys have reached. You know, that's something that happens to a preliminary fighter. He's fighting right. in a swing bout, but the number one guy in boxing shouldn't have to sit in his dressing room after he's warmed up because of another event going on. You know, it's just I I just don't get that. I I don't get why. You know, and, 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 and I have a lot of, you know, respect for national anthems and things like that. But it just takes too long when you're singing all these national anthems and all these things are going. That stuff should be done a lot earlier in the night. Yep. Once yep. a guy warms up and he walks down and gets in the ring, he needs to be ready to fight. He shouldn't have to go through all of that. You know, uh, and, and I think nobody has any respect for the different time zones. Exactly. If you put on a fight 9, 30, 10 o'clock, on the Pacific time zone, three hours later, over here on the East Coast where everything is happening, that's ridiculous. You know, I, I, I never understood it. I, I'll get to the sports bar 12.30 at night <laughs> to watch a freaking fight. <laughs> it, it, and, and, the, and the bell's just ring. It's ridiculous. Nobody has any respect for that. I think that the cards are, in that aspect, they're too long from fight to fight. I think it's spread out way too much, especially with the big fights and the pay-per-view fights, because most of them are in Vegas on the West Coast. Yep. And it's just it's just a shame how long they take for these guys to fight. Absolutely. That's that's our big campaign. Hey, look, you mentioned Canelo. Um, let's talk about him a little bit. He and Gennady Golovkin reportedly have uh, signed to fight a third time in the fall. Uh, obviously, we have no idea what the hell's going to happen and when. But if it does go ahead... Uh, I think Canelo this time around is probably going to be a pretty big favorite to win. Um, in your view, how live an underdog is Golovkin? Is it too late for him? Or do you think he's still pretty much even up with Canelo at this point? No, I don't think he's even up. Mm -hmm. I actually feel bad for Golovkin. You know what? Let me take that back. It's boxing. So I don't feel bad for anybody in, in, in the aspect of they're get, he's getting paid handsomely to fight. Mm. More money than any of my guys have ever made, but I um I think that Golovkin is a victim of his age and this era. What I mean by that is when did he get on HBO? Two thousand twelve, something okay. like that. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So he's already thirty years old, but by the time he gets a premier network check, I think it was against um. The Polish guy. Right. Proxa. Rigor Proxa. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that's his first fight. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was at the Turning Stone. It's his first fight on HBO. He's already 30 at that time. Now, he's still at his peak, but that's his first big fight on HBO, and I'm sure he didn't make a, a lot of big money. So the guys who are around Golovkin's age, as far as um, errors are concerned, are more like a Kelly Pavlik, uh, Arthur Abraham, Felix Sturm, Dimitri uh, Pirog. I guess we could squeeze Danny Jacobs in there. Um, Sergio Martinez, Paul Williams. Those are the guys of Golovkin's ever. Miguel Cotto. Even though people don't like to count him, Miguel Cotto won the Lineal middleweight championship of the world. Right. Canelo Alvarez is almost 10 years younger than him. Now, there's no rule saying you can't fight a guy 10 years younger <laughs> than you are. But he's fighting a guy that's, like, really off of his era. And hmm. it's 
while he's way past his prom. So, you know, I mean, I guess I think Tom Loeffler and K2, whoever his promoter was at the time, they did a great job. You know, I'm not saying he didn't. He did a great job. He made a lot of money. He went undefeated for a long time. And he's a great fighter. He's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. But his legacy is going to hurt because he's probably not going to be viewed as an all-time great fighter because, you know, once he got the big fight, he's had funny results past his prom. The Danny Jacobs fight was controversial. The two Canelo fights were controversial. And um, his last fight versus Derenchenko was controversial. So it's looked at as if he got some gifts, you know, um, in his bigger, harder fights. It's looked at as he lost to Canelo in his bigger, harder fights. He's never officially beat Canelo. And that's going to go on his record as sort of a stain. But I think that he got his fights too late. In my personal opinion, I saw slippage in him around 2015, 16-ish. Kell Brook hits him with yep. some big shots. And then the next thing you know, everybody wants to fight him. Mm. And I think that his fans and people around, they thought, oh, well, maybe he's letting guys go further so he can get the big fight. Or maybe he's doing this or he's doing that so he can get the big fight. And I'm like, listen, man, he's a human being. He got a great chin, and he can fight, but he's a human being. Nobody just lets people punch him in the face. And, 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 and Kell Brook. It, the, the, the thing I hate to hear is when I hear somebody say a fighter can't punch. Well, everybody's not a one-punch knockout artist. But any man that's at the elite level that's in shape can hurt you with a punch. He may can't knock you out, but punches hurt. Being punched in the face <laughs> with hand wraps on and, 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 and eight or ten ounce gloves, they hurt. Right. They, 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 if anybody doesn't believe that, let me punch him in the face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let your ten-year-old kid Wrap his hands up real good, put on an eight-ounce pair of gloves, and let them punch you in the face as hard as they can. For people that thought that Golovkin was letting guys go to distance or letting guys go rounds because he wanted the big fights, it was absurd. He wasn't letting them. They went the distance because that's what they did, world-class like he's world-class. So I saw a slippage, and I knew that he was going to start getting fights after Kell Brook was able to win some rounds. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. He was able to get the Jacobs fight after that. He was able to get the Canelo fight after that. Guys became galvanized from what they saw. They're like, oh, he's human. Kell Brook hit him with big shots. Kell Brook stunned him with uppercut. He's a human being. And the fights got tougher and tougher. And now he's 38. Um, I think that Canelo's going to do a job on him. I think that he has an all-time chin. He has all-time heart. But even, you know, even that gets dissipated over time. You're not going to take but so many punches clean without it starting affecting you. And he's getting hurt. He's not getting stopped. He's not getting knocked down. But you're seeing visual distress on him when he's getting hit. You know, uh, Canelo's hurting Triple G. I don't care what nobody says. Just because you don't knock a guy out, that doesn't mean you're not hurting him. Right. Um, Chinko was hurting him with punches. He's being stunned. You know, he has to go through these long training camps. He's almost 40. You know, if you're a clean fighter, you, you, you know this is the time where slippage starts to come in. And I think Canelo's in his prime. Um, I think he's operating at a, at, at a high level. And each fight, the rounds get more and more in Canelo's favor. I thought Triple G won the first fight narrowly. I thought the second fight, Canelo looked like he was doing more. I didn't have a pen and pad, but I thought Canelo would get the decision from what I was watching. And in this fight, I think Canelo will will win much more decisively. 
I think he knows that he can attack Triple G, which is a big, big issue. It's kind of like with Frankie Randall and Chavez, where Fran- Randall's looked at as the boxer, but once he gets in the ring with him, he feels like, you know what, I can attack this guy and I can become more offensive and violent with him. And I think it's going to be like that with Canelo and Triple G. And I think um, Triple G is going to have – if Triple G wins this fight, he's an all-time great fighter because the odds are stacked against him in every way. Canelo's operating at a high level. Canelo's put on a lot of pounds of muscle. He looks really, really good. He's only 29. I think he turns 30 this year. I think that uh, if Triple G's able to pull this fight off, it's a, it's a remarkable accomplishment. But I think Canelo's going to beat him, and he might stop him. Um, so let's talk about heavyweights, because I don't believe we've had you on the podcast since Fury Wilder 2 happened. Uh, Wilder says he wants revenge, that, that he wants to go straight into a third fight. So two questions for you. Is that the right move for Deontay? And if you were training him, what would you be working on to give him his best chance at beating Fury? Um, you know what, man? I, I got to preface my comment with this. I think that Wilder's trainers have been disrespected a little bit. Hmm. And I don't want to, you know, uh, accentuate that. You know, I've seen coaches like like lobby for jobs for Wilder's trainers, you know, as, as Wilder's trainers. Like, you know, let me train you, Deontay, and I could do this and I could do that. And I just think that that's disrespectful. You know, no other sport has that. If if a team loses the championship in basketball, you don't hear a coach saying, man, I could do this or I could do that. Go fire your coach, you know what I mean? But in boxing, you know, it's just nobody has etiquette. So I look at it like this. Wilder's trainers got him when he was 19 years old. They won a bronze medal a couple of years later. He had like 20 fights as an amateur. He's not a skillful fighter. He doesn't have, when I say he's not skillful, he's not like blessed with like a smooth level of skills like a Floyd Mayweather or even a Muhammad Ali, a heavyweight. Right. He's a raw athlete who can punch. So they get him to 42-0 with 10 title defenses, and now all of a sudden they don't know what they're doing. Maybe they overachieved with Deontay Wilder. Has anybody ever thought about that? Right. Maybe the job that they did was as good a job as you can do with a fighter like Deontay. We're not in the gyms with them. Maybe he doesn't learn the small things as fast as some other fighters do. Maybe there's things that he just, you know, is, are not able to do. You know, trainers' credibilities are always being attacked. What did this guy do? What did that guy do? Well, Mark Breland was the best amateur fighter we've ever had in our country. <laughs> he was built like Deontay Wilder. Shelly Finkel was Mark Breland's manager. He happens to be Deontay Wilder's manager. Does anybody think that that was a mistake that Mark Breland was brought in to train the guy who's built similar to him and they have the same managers? Maybe he did all he could with Wilder. Right. Maybe, you know, eventually people stopped getting better. You know, so everybody's blaming his trainers for their lack of acumen as far as Wilder's performances, but maybe they're getting all they can get out of him. You know, we don't know what these fighters' learning curves are. You know, some guys are intelligent in school and some guys aren't. I don't want to say the fighter's name. Man, Stewart told me he had a fighter that he said he had a severe case of ADHD. He doesn't learn well. It takes him a long time to actually learn different things. Nobody's going to say that a fighter has that, you know, because you don't want to embarrass anybody, but we don't know. 
So everybody's attacking his trainers, but I feel like they overachieved. I honestly do. Deontay Wilder is lacking in so many areas for them to have gotten him this far. And he's not big. He weighs 210, 11 pounds, you know, and he's always giving up 30 and 40 pounds against these guys. I think they overachieved. Um, to go back to your question, I don't know if he's making the right choice because I don't know him personally. But he's 34 years old. It's a lot of money to be made. And he may can't get up for the, um, the intermediate fight. He may not be able to concentrate and focus on that. He may really just want the guy that beat him. And when you're dealing with him from a motivation standpoint, I understand why fighters take the big fight. You know, Ray Leonard came back against Hagler, and everybody says he did it without a comeback fight. And I heard him say, I wouldn't get up for a comeback fight. I might lose a comeback fight. Because I still have to go through camp and do all those things for a fighter that's not making my blood boil. I need the best guy in front of me so my blood can boil. So I get why Wilder says, man, I don't want a tune-up fight. I want the guy who beat me, the way Anthony Joshua went right back to Ruiz. Uh, I, I respect what he's doing, and I understand why he's doing it. So to me, it's no right or wrong answer. Everybody's going to wait to see what happens in the fight. But a training camp is extremely difficult for these fighters. Some guys don't have it in them to go through these long training camps if the opponent is not somebody who moves them in a certain way where, where you know, where they, where they feel that, uh, that sense of a threat. Um, as far as changing things, I'm in the minority, but I think that Wilder can win the rematch. I think that in heavyweight boxing, you know, it's very, very small adjustments that you can make. Tyson Fury just basically, uh, Sugar Hill, uh, Javon Stewart, he just basically, you know, convinced Tyson Fury that he doesn't have to move away from Deontay's Wilder power. He convinced him while Deontay Wilder is a big puncher, he's probably not that physically strong, and Tyson Fury can bully him because physical strength and punching power are different. Right. So what he did was he walked behind a hard jab, he dirty boxed him, he choked him, he mauled him, he he he. he he mushed his head. He rolled his head with an open glove. He fought him. He fought him in, in a very rough, violent manner, and he beat him up. That's what he convinced him. And, and he laid all over him, and he kept choking him in the clinches. I was watching, and I'm like, yo, how come nobody from Wilder's Corner is uh, action, telling the referee he's being choked? He was literally being choked in the clinches. And, 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 uh, and I don't mind a dirty fighter. I, if one of my fighters ever complains about a guy being dirty with him, I curse him out. I always <laughs> tell him, do whatever he did to you, do it back. Right. Don't tell me he's hitting you low. Hit him back low. Don't tell me he's hitting you behind the head. Hit him back behind the head. You know, that's the only way you're going to get it even. Telling the ref, it's, it's, it doesn't take away what he did to you. So I think Wilder has to work on his jab. He turns his head when he jabs. It's a, it's, a, it's a fatal flaw. I think he has to educate his left hand a little bit. Um, I think that his feet are spreaded a little bit too wide. Wilder's used to fighting shorter guys. He has to understand he's fighting somebody taller than him now. His feet, his feet are spreaded wide, so it's easy for Fury to kind of trap him on the ropes. And I think Wilder has to come in a little bit lighter. I think he came in 230, and everybody talks about his punching power. I think it's his ability to land the punch, which is his biggest gift. Right. Deontay Wilder is really, really fast, and he, and, 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 he, and he strikes you in a sudden way. 
I think there's guys who can punch as hard as Wilder or who have, who have punched as hard as Wilder. I mean, you can only punch but so hard. Once you get to that size, everybody can punch. But his ability to land his hardest punch while the other guy is not suspecting it was his gift because he was so much lighter than everybody. He hit Dominic Brazil with a shot. Dominic Brazil didn't even see it coming. Yeah. You know, he's hitting, he hit Luis Ortiz with a shot. Ortiz didn't even see the shot. Right. So he's practically like walking down the street and you think he's about to ask you for a light of a cigarette and, and you go out and pull out your lighter <laughs> and boom, you're out cold. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a shock value because you can't brace for it. That's why they look so stunned and so weird after he hits them. I think that coming in 230 pounds, it doesn't allow him to, to shock Tyson Fury as much as he did when he was 211, 212 pounds when he was hitting Tyson Fury. So I think that that's a big difference. So come in lighter, stop spreading your feet so much, and uh, educate your left hand a little bit more. Mm. You know, um, Deontay Wilder throws his jab, he turns his head, and his right hand is cocked like a bow and arrow. You know, you look at a guy like Holyfield, who's, who's very fundamentally sound, look where his right hand is when he jabs. His right hand is right there to catch your jab. Look mm. at a guy like Joe Lewis, who's very fundamentally sound. His right hand is there to catch your jab. Deontay Wilder's right hand is not in place to catch the other guy's jab. And I'll, I'm not picking his trainers apart. You know, sometimes fighters have nervous tics that they really can't control, and they have a body type that they can't control. And no matter how much you tell them to do things, they do it over and over again because in the heat of the battle when you're getting punched in the face, it's, it, it's a lot different than just talking about it with me and you. But I think that if he just shores up a couple of small things, he can hit Tyson Fury on the chin and knock him out. It's heavyweight boxing. You know, mm-hmm. if he's not out of the fight. Mentally, he just has to come in the fight, ready to rock and roll. He has to, uh, his, his sense of awareness has to be up in the, in, the, in the rematch. You know, he has to be aware of everything. But he's seen everything that Tyson Fury, he's seen Tyson Fury fight, a boxing fight going away from him. He's seen Tyson Fury fight an aggressive fight going towards him. You know, so he's felt it. He's seen it. Um, and another thing, guys, you guys are going to understand what I'm about to say that nobody ever talks about. Tyson Fury fought the fight of his life. In boxing, a lot of times when you fight the perfect fight and you fight as good as you've ever fought before, just like any other sport, sometimes you have a come down. There's a mm. thing called the law of averages. Right. Now, as great as LeBron James is, and he's special, he doesn't average 50 points a game. He averages about right. 27 or 28. So when he's playing the Golden State Warriors and he gets 50 points in that first game, the chances of him getting 50 points in game two is very slim, right? Remember the game where J.R. Right. Smith called the bad timeout? Right. So he came back down to earth. So they almost won that first game, but he would have to do that for four consecutive games in order for him to beat that team. And I'm not saying that this, the, the difference between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder is the difference between Cleveland and Golden State. But what I'm telling you is that Tyson Fury may not be able to fight that kind of fight back-to-back again. Mm. We've never mm. seen him do that. Just like Roberto Duran wasn't able to fight the perfect fight uh, against Ray Leonard in the Nomas fight right after he fought him in Montreal. It's extremely difficult to be lights out like that. That's not the law of averages. We've seen Tyson Fury good before, but we've also seen Tyson Fury have some bad nights, like the fight before Deontay Wilder, where he got cut and he struggled a little bit. So 
like to, to expect him to turn to, to to go in the fight and be like that again is going to be very very difficult because he's going to have to be like better than he ever was again two times in a row. That's extremely extremely hard to do. So when I look at the rematch, I'll say, what if Fury comes back down to earth a little bit, and what if Wilder fights a lot better than he fought in the in the second fight? I think we got a tough fight on our hands. But whenever I see, even a fighter I train, whenever I see him fight a perfect fight, I always say, shit, the next one we might have a <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's the law of averages. Manny Pacquiao probably fought four or five perfect fights in a row, starting with David Diaz, then I think it was Oscar De La Hoya, then Ricky Hatton, then uh, Miguel Cotto, then Antonio Margarito. That was unreal. You don't get that. That was five in a row, but even he came back down to earth. Right. Roy Jones fought a few, but even he came back down to earth. I remember he fought Montel Griffin after his great run at uh, Super Middleweight. He came back down to earth a little bit. You know, um, look throughout history of guys who fought like that. Bernard Hopkins, when he fought Felix Trinidad, I think he like defended his title against a guy named Marad Harkar or something right. like that here in the Philadelphia area. He didn't look that great. Right. You know, when you come back down to earth a little, Phyllis Trinidad, for example, he was on a hell of a run. He had, he, he had beat uh, David Reed, uh, a guy from France. I can't remember his name. Mamadou Thiam, I think. Right. Yep. He beat um, um, then Vargas Fernando was Vargas. Next. Yep. And then William Joppy was next. There was like four fights in a row where he was on fire. What happened with Bernard Hopkins? He came back down to earth. Fighters come back down to earth a little bit, even the special and the great ones. Marquez is another one. He looks great against Pacquiao, comes out against Tim Bradley. He's come back down to earth. Fighters come back down to earth. So I don't think people recognize that Tyson Fury may come back down to earth because that Tyson Fury that we saw that night, that would defy the law of averages. I'm not saying he can't do it twice, but what I'm saying is the likelihood of him being that guy again is, 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 not, you know, is not favorable. So I think Deontay Wilder has a chance. I, I think Tyson Fury's about a 60-40 favorite, 65-35. Obviously, he's shown that he's the superior fighter, and I don't want to overthink this. But to think that Deontay Wilder's over his head and he can't win the rematch and all the stuff that people are saying, I'm like, man, this is boxing. You know, you guys got – you can't just keep judging everything on small microcosms. Every right. fight is different. Every training camp is different. Every time you get never, sometimes you just may get up and it's just not your day. Your biorhythms are, are, are just not on. Things happen. The great guys, they're consistent throughout. Like Terrence Crawford, like Vasil Lomachenko, you pretty much see the same guy every time. But those guys are special. So uh, I think Deontay Wilder has a chance. And, you know, I think he's shown a lot of, uh, a lot of intestinal fortitude. He's going right back at him for the second time. Third time, I mean, and, and I respect them for it. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Okay. Talking of you know great rivalries and great rematches, uh, by the time people listen to this, Showtime will have just re-aired uh, Israel Vasquez, Rafa Marquez, one, two, and three. And, and that's 
obviously one of the great rivalries of, of the 2000s. Um, you got to figure if there was going to be a Mount Rushmore of, of you know great rivalries of that decade, you got to be that Pacquiao Marquez, Barrera Morales, and Gaddy Ward. Um, do you have a personal favorite among those kind of rivalries? Man, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, all of those were really great fights. Uh, the first Barrera Morales fight stands out to me. Okay. It was something about that fight. I was a huge Marco Antonio Barrera fan. I thought he was kind of written off after his two losses to Junior yep. Jones. He kind of, um, you know, went under the radar a little bit for a few years, and he came back against Morales, and I thought he fought the fight of his life. I thought he got robbed that yep. fight, especially with the late knockdown. That was a bad call. Um, so that fight, Kind of stands out to me uh, as far as the you know the overall trilogies go. Um, the one I took the most interest in was Barrera and Morales and Pacquiao and uh, Marquez. But Pacquiao's my guy. I didn't like to see it end like that. Hmm. So um, I, I, I was a huge Arturo Gotti fan. I find myself defending him when people say he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I would say, the, you know, the rivalries that ended the best for me, which would be my favorite, was Gotti Ward and Barrera Morales because I was a big Marco Antonio Barrera fan. I remember when I first saw him on Boxing After Dark when he beat um, Kennedy McKinney. Right. I'm like, this guy is the deal. So, um, you know, um, but that first Barrera Morales fight when he was come, everybody loves a good comeback. And Barrera had lost to Junior Jones twice. And... Morales, if I'm not mistaken, had knocked Junior Jones out. So the consensus was Morales was a little bit younger, a little bit closer to his prom, that he would beat Barrera. And I thought Barrera put it on him that night. Morales made made a valiant stand. He fought a great fight. But I thought Barrera, um, you know, won that fight competitive but clean. That that fight stands out the most to me. So my two favorites of the decade would be um, – Scotty Ward and uh, Barrera versus Morales. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with any of them, obviously. They're just <laughs> oh, such, no, they're such all, great fights. Yeah. I mean, even the come down fights, like the the like the fights that are like the least thrilling out of the, the series are great fights. You know yeah. what I mean? All <laughs> yep. of them are like, like Pacquiao and Marquez, for example. You know, the third fight is the one that's kind of like the least talked about out of the four. The fourth one was probably the best. But all of them were like nip and tuck. Every yep. round is just like amazing. You know what I mean? And the same thing with Barrera, Morales, and uh, Morales and Pacquiao. Yeah. And even even um, Gotti and Ward. The second one, Gotti and Ward, was the one that people like least remember. But that was a good one. You know yep. what I mean? They're all. But the first one obviously was the one that's just like the most thrilling. But they were all. You know, I'm just we're we're in a fortunate time that I've been able to um, see all of those fights. For sure. Uh, all right. Well, last question, Breadman, and and it and it has nothing to do with boxing. Um, but we love talking sports betting with you. I'm curious. Did you have any NBA futures bets that got screwed up by the suspension of the season? Because like I, I know that this seems a, a trivial thing to complain about uh, these days, but uh, I I had a big bet on the Knicks under 29 and a half wins. That's almost certainly going to end up voided. Uh, so that's that's a bad beat right there. Are you holding on to any notable futures tickets? I, I I got screwed. Let me tell you something. When LeBron James, uh, when the Lakers beat uh, Milwaukee and the Clippers back to back that weekend, right? 
I was going to the casino to bet LeBron James win the MVP at like plus 400. Mm-hmm. And I was like procrastinating. I went to the gym. <laughs> it's just I just had like little things to do. And I just couldn't, didn't get a chance to go past the casino. And I kept telling myself, I got to go over there, put a few hundred dollars, because I think he's going to pass the Greek freak, freak down the stretch. Because LeBron James is a really, he's an interesting guy. He kind of reminds me of Floyd Mayweather, where, you know, he knows when to turn it on and turn it off. An 82-game season, and, you know, it's a long time in basketball. And it seemed like he was just, like, peeking out and just, you know, kind of, like, smoothly going into where he needed to go. And, and that's how I watch Floyd in some fights. The first four rounds may be, you know, maybe just 2-2. Two, two. He, he's not pulling away yet. Then he finds something, and then boom, he's won five clean rounds in a row, and the fight's pretty much over. And I said to myself, I'm like, you know what? LeBron's going to turn it on. And the season got called. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was my best season. And they start the season up right now, I wouldn't do it. Because you don't know if a guy's going to be in tune. You know what I mean? You don't know where he's going to be at. And uh, that was my bet. I was going to take LeBron to win the uh, MVP. All right, man. Hey, look, thanks. It's uh, strange times for us all, but uh, it was actually really good like having you on, and we could just forget about all the weirdness in the outside world for a half hour or so. So I really appreciate you coming on. And um, let's talk to you again soon, and hopefully things will be getting back to normal when they are. Yep, thank you. Appreciate it. Stay well, brother. Thanks a lot, Stephen. All right, our thanks again to Breadman. Uh, Now on to the news, and as Kieran noted at the top of the show, it's not terribly cheery. Uh, Let's get the really dreadful stuff out of the way first. Uh, Several notable names in boxing have tested positive for this COVID-19 coronavirus, including heavyweight Travis Kaufman. He tested positive this week, while Otto Valin is symptomatic and says he believes he has it, but hadn't been tested uh, last we heard. And the truly upsetting one is Derek Jefferson, a heavyweight contender from the late 90s and early 2000s, best known for his sensational war with Maurice Harris. Uh, Jefferson, though only 52, not in the highest risk group on paper, is in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator. So we send our thoughts to his family and hope he pulls through. Uh, And there are also two fatalities to pass along. Trainer, cutman, and former fighter Nelson Cuevas, who was just inducted into the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame a few months ago, died Friday from COVID-19 at the age of 80. And boxing writer Ron Ross, a longtime BWA member and author of several boxing books, died from the coronavirus on Monday at age 87. Um, This is probably no time to inject levity into the proceedings, but I've never let a sense of taste and decency (laughs) stop me before. So I will also note that I read a line somewhere on the internet on Friday, quote, Anthony Joshua is under self-quarantine after a March 9th meeting with Prince Charles, who later tested positive for coronavirus, end quote. And my mind immediately went to Prince Charles Martin. Uh, So so that shows where my head is at. Uh, Kieran, I don't know if there's really much to say about any of this. I worry that this will be a weekly feature for a while, naming boxing people who've tested positive. Uh, Do you have anything to add, uh, or should we just move on to the next item? Well, there's nothing great to say about any of it, is it? I mean, but I think about your point of it possibly being a weekly feature, and as we were DMing back and forth, 
in preparation for this and thinking about which names to include and which not to, it mm. could be the feature of yeah. the podcast. I mean, my goodness. Um, and for those who still insist it's overhyped or that it only kills the old and infirm, uh, light heavyweight contender Anthony Yard announced that his father had died suddenly from the disease, despite having no previous health issues. Right. Um, so it, it is... Uh, you know, it, it can take anybody, really. So mm -hmm. um, uh, if there is any kind of glimmer of positivity to be gained from that list, um, it's a hope on my part that not only does Derek Jefferson recover, but that he recovers to find that his name being in the news has prompted a whole bunch of younger boxing fans who perhaps weren't aware of him to go out and watch that fight with Maurice Harris, yeah. which is so worth doing, not only because it's an excellent fight, but simply for Larry Merchant's commentary and his final call uh, as the fight ends. It is so worth it. Um, yeah. So we hope he recovers and we hope he's newly appreciated. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make you a little jealous. I was there for that one. Um, Were you? Yes, wow. I, I was at that fight, and that was on the same card that you might remember. That was the co-feature to uh, Moskayev and Rachman, where he knocked him out of the ring, what? and uh, a little mini-riot ensued, uh, including Steve Smoger getting hit on the head with a flying chair. So uh, I fortunately was not hit with any flying objects, but it was definitely a scary but uh, very memorable night uh, at the fights. Wow. Yeah, I am definitely. I've never had a ringside riot experience. Of any uh, kind. Knock, knock wood, you won't. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, most of the other news, as we mentioned at the top, has to do with postponement of fights. Uh, the Summer Olympics in Japan, of course, will be postponed. The current aim is to reschedule everything for 2021. Uh, PBC announced it's postponed all fights it had scheduled through May. Uh, we spoke earlier with Breadman about Fury Wilder 3. Uh, it has reportedly been pushed back from July 18th, which I don't think was any kind of solid date at all, actually. Um, but to the fall, uh, October 3rd, possibly, although I don't know that there's any source on the record for that. Uh, a couple of people have reported it, but um, it's a bit of a fool's errand trying to set dates for fights right now. And there are more important things in the world. But I guess it seems safe to say that, Eric, that October seems safer than July. Yeah, uh, you, you would think, but... Who knows? You know, maybe fights will be happening in July or maybe they won't be happening in October. It, it's, it's all a guessing game right now. Um, the big thing I wonder out of this various postponement news is whether some boxers who would have competed in the Olympics this year will turn pro instead of waiting another uh. year. You know, a, a few months delay is one thing, but a, a whole year is a lot to ask of a, a talented kid who's ready to start earning some money. Right. Um, although, of course, you can earn a lot more if you have that former Olympian or even Olympic medalist or Olympic gold medalist next to your name. So uh, tough decisions there for a, a lot of young athletes. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Mm, good point. Uh, all right, let, let's end the news segment on an up note. Um, and again, you know, it, it might be a waste of time to discuss uh, negotiations going on for fights. It might be a waste of time for fighters teams to hammer out those negotiations right now but nevertheless negotiations are underway for chocolatito gonzalez versus juan francisco estrada 2 a rematch more than seven years in the making 
now viable again after Chocolatito looked excellent stopping Khalid Yafai for a super flyweight belt on February 29th. Kieran, what's your early excitement level for that rematch? Um, I'm presently finding it quite hard to get excited about anything, but if our reward for making it through all of this is a Chocolatito Estrada rematch, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Um, and, and as you sort of alluded to, I'm significantly more excited by this than I would have been last year. Uh, you, the way that Chocolatito annihilated Cal Yafai uh, has really suggested that, you know, maybe the, the Sorong Visai fights were an aberration or Sorong Visai maybe just had his number or, you know, maybe as, as we talked about, I think the other week, he just needed a little bit of a break from fighting top level opponent after top level opponent. I, I might at this stage of their careers and apparent shop warnness make Estrada the slight favorite this time around, but it says a lot for uh, Chocolatito's rebound that it's even being discussed. And, yeah. you know, we say we're supposed to have things to look forward to. There you go. Now we have something <laughs> to look forward to. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, we asked for mailbag questions and you responded. We got some great ones this week. Thank you very much for everyone who wrote in. Um, we've got four of them here that we selected that we're going to do. Uh, let's start with our old friend Mark O at Marco518 who asks, is Andre Ward the best 168 pounder of all time? If not, who is? Parenthetically, he adds, Roy was great at 168, but wasn't there long. So um, I looked at, I looked up an old article back in uh, 1996, uh, Showtime Steve Farhood, uh, not Showtime Steve Farhood at the time, uh, the ring Steve Farhood at the time, wrote a big section uh, for the magazine ranking the top five all-time in every division. Uh, and at that time, uh, when the division had only existed for about a dozen years, Roy was his number one super middleweight, and it really, it wasn't close. Um, right. In the almost 25 years since Steve wrote that, two challengers to that throne have come along. Uh, so it, it's really just a three-man discussion, yep. in my view. It's Roy, it's Joe Calzaghe, and yep. it's Andre Ward. Now, Marco's phrasing asks, who's the best of all time, which is different than the greatest. Uh, right. Greatest is heavier on accomplishment. Best is more of a who be too. So... I would still say Roy Jones is almost certainly the best super middleweight ever. I favor prime Roy at 168 over prime Calzaghe and prime Ward, although they're certainly not walkovers. Um, but if we're talking about greatest, uh, which I think is, is more interesting to discuss, so I'm going to reword Marco's question a bit, uh, <laughs> then yeah, Roy just wasn't in the division very long. He won his first belt at 168 against James Tony in 94, a great win there. Made five defenses, none of them against great fighters. So on resume, he's not number one all time at super middle. Calzaghe spent almost his whole career there. His last two fights against Roy and Bernard Hopkins, those were at light heavyweight. Otherwise, it's all super middle where he beat a faded Chris Eubank, Robin Reed, Charles Brewer, Byron Mitchell, Jeff Lacey, Sakio Bika, and the best win of his career, in my view, Mikkel Kessler. Uh, you compare that to Andre Ward's resume at 168. I'd say he had one meaningful win before the Super 6 against Edison Miranda, and then it's Kessler, Alan Green, Bika, Arthur Abraham, Carl Frotch, a drained Chad Dawson, and Edwin Rodriguez. It's really close who had the better resume. Uh, you know, Ward in about a four-year reign or Calzaghe in about a 10-year reign. I think you could make an excellent case either way, but... I guess the longevity in the division puts Calzaghe over the top for me. Uh, but that said, I, I think I'd pick Prime Ward to beat Prime Calzaghe in a close one. So it's weird. For best, I rank them Roy, Andre, Calzaghe. 
For greatest, I go the exact opposite. Calzaghe, Ward, <laughs> Jones. Interesting. I, I made some notes myself for this, and up until the very end, we were really, cl- surprisingly, basically <laughs> the same. Okay. I, I did the same. I, I did made the same distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I put uh, it's clearly, obviously, a three-way contest. Um, and I said, yeah, in terms of like natural skill, ability, I put Roy, Andre, Calzaghe, one, two, three. And then again, in terms of accomplishment, it was between Andre and Calzaghe. And I just, I just ever so slightly edged towards Andre Ward. I feel like his better wins were better than, than Calzaghe's better wins. Um, and then I also threw into the equation, sort of blurring the lines a bit what who would i favor if the two right. were to fight and i would definitely favor andre in that fight so so very close so i i have it um ward calzaghe roy in terms of accomplishment roy andre calzaghe in terms of like natural skill and ability right okay uh next up good one here from shane smith at crush hive on twitter who wonders who is your favorite current and former fighter that the average casual fan may have never heard of and or forgotten about. What do you say, Kieran? I found this one a surprisingly tough one to answer, largely because I have no idea at this point, um, you know, now that now that your average fan or even casual fan has access to so much more information than they did when they were waiting for the ring to show up at the news the news vendor right. every month. I don't know, like, what are people aware of and, and who they aren't aware of. So in terms of current fighters, I was assuming basically it's probably mostly prospects that I've kept an eye on that I really like, you know, Mm -hmm. like some of the guys we picked in our draft. And the one I ended up with, I think after his last fight, he's perhaps more likely to be known to a casual fan, but I'm giving myself a pass because I was uh, uh, on that train well before he, you know, he, he had this, title-winning fight, and that's Murajan Akbadaliyev. I've been really excited about him for a while. I love watching him fight. Um, I don't know if casual fans know about him yet. Like I said, probably a little bit more since he beat Danny Roman than, than six months ago. But I think I'll probably pick him. And if people do know him a little bit now, then I'd probably have another couple of prospects we've seen on Showbox, um, uh, Vladimir Shiskin and Xavier Martinez, uh, both of whom I think are going to be fantastic. Um, and then as for past fighter, again, that was really hard. Like, who have people forgotten? And so the guy I... F- obviously, a, a lot of the past fighters I was really into were, were British fighters. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up with, I'm, I'm curious to see what your, your reaction will be, because I know he hasn't been forgotten in the United Kingdom. But I wonder if outside of there he's at all remembered or maybe a little bit forgotten. And that's John Conti. Mm. Um, You know, uh, he was a really fine light heavyweight from Liverpool. But he fought at like the front end of what turned into a really tremendous light heavyweight era. Um, You know, he beat Jorge Akumada. He beat Yaki Lopez. um, Had a a bell. He only, of his four losses... Two were pretty controversial. Two were to Matthew Saad Mohammed. Right. Um, and shortly after that, he, he retired. Um, short career, only about nine years. He never seemed to be super dedicated to it. Um, but uh, it was a, he was a very, very famous in Britain at the time. Um, but uh, he's somebody who I think maybe if you 
spoke to any boxing fan outside of the UK probably wouldn't think about him. Right. I think that's fair to say, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Using me as a sample size of one, I would say uh, <laughs> I would say it backs up your point that to me, you know, h- him having fought before I was on the beat, um, he's just a name that I've seen and I've seen the photos and I know about the Saad Muhammad fights and that's about it. And he's certainly not someone that I ever think about. So uh, yeah, I do think, do think he qualifies as someone that either newer fans have never heard of or older fans have maybe kind of forgotten about that people aren't talking about him much these days. Um, yeah, and th- this is a great question, uh, Shane, by the way. So good job uh, by, by you coming up with this question. There's so many options. Um, I'll do the former fighter first uh, that I, th- I think a lot of people have forgotten about this guy, but I just loved watching him fight. A guy who got the absolute max out of his talent, former lightweight champ Stevie Johnston. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, like nobody ever talks about him anymore. Yep. But, you know, watch his master class against Angel Manfredi. Watch how many times he won despite dealing with cuts. Uh, his two fights with Cesar Bazan were excellent. So were his two fights with Jose Luis Castillo. Great nickname, Lil But Bad. Um, he's largely been forgotten. So uh, I think uh, new or casual fans probably Sorry. haven't heard of him. Um, and as for a current guy, yeah, I struggled a a lot like you did and, and was veering toward prospects. Uh, and so uh, on a similar, uh, trajectory to where you went with this, a favorite of mine that casual fans, I don't think really know yet. Uh, I'm going with, uh, Boots Ennis. Uh, I'm really Ah, enjoying his rise and I don't think casual fans know who he is. Um, uh, yeah, at least they yet. will. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They don't know him yet, but I think they will. Um, and then I was also just wondering, you know, maybe would Naoya Inoue count? You know, the average casual fan yeah. might still not know that name. Like, I don't know how casual is casual, but it's safe to right. say the, the average guy who watches boxing like five times a year doesn't know right. either Inoue or Boots Ennis. So th- those are the kind of guys who are on my mind here. Ah, there you go. No good calls there. Um, The next mailbag question comes from Jared Gilkerson at Gilkerson Radio. And I'm going to leave this one entirely to you because I don't know the answer to this. Uh, (laughs) Hey, guys, love the show. I've always been interested in the aesthetics of sports. Are there any rules in place where fighters can't wear the same color gloves or trunks? Uh, Holyfield and Foreman had almost the same look, for example. Does anybody regulate or refuse apparel? So uh, the short answer is... Currently, no, there are no rules about that, but there used to be, or or at the very least, there used to be unwritten rules. Um, First of all, the gloves, the rule used to be that the fighters had to wear the exact same gloves, same brand, same color. And somewhere along the line, that changed. I I think in the early 2000s, I started seeing fighters using their own colors of choice. Uh, And then we got to where one guy would wear Reyes if that's what he preferred, and the other guy would wear Everlast. And now it seems to be a free-for-all. As long as your gloves are the right weight and are approved by the commission, kind of anything goes. Trunks, they used to have a rule in the days of black and white television that one guy would wear a dark color and one would wear white to make Ah. it easy for fans watching. Uh, If you look back at most fight photos from like the 40s through the 60s, it's almost always dark trunks versus light trunks. Interesting. Um, Yeah, but then that changed with color TV, but they still made an effort to make sure the two fighters weren't wearing the same colors. You you didn't want two guys both in red or, or whatever, but that seems to have mostly gone away too. I couldn't tell you when they stopped enforcing that exactly, but it seems commissions and networks don't tell fighters what to wear anymore, and the two camps don't coordinate. 
and everyone just kind of hopes they don't both end up in the exact same leopard print or, or whatever. Um, but HDTV is so good now that you don't rely on the trunk color to tell the boxers apart anywhere near as much as you used to. So, so there's my rudimentary history lesson, mostly just learned from listening to Nigel Collins explain stuff in my early days on the beat. Okay. Um, I figure like true boxing historians might be able to fill in some more of the details. So, you know, Steve Farhood, if you're listening, uh, let me know if I missed anything there. Ah. Very good. I, go. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I promise you I wasn't making too much of it up. <laughs> um, our final question this week comes from at David Roebuck 3, who asks, which heavyweights in history would you pick over Tyson Fury, considering he's about 80 pounds bigger than most of them? And that might be a slight exaggeration. I don't think he's 80 right. pounds bigger than most, but he's a lot bigger than most of them. So what do you Indeed. think, Kieran? Well, after listening to Breadman, uh, Deontay Wilder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, I fancy Lennox, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not that much smaller than him, not, not that much shorter, not that much lighter. And while he doesn't have that natural looseness of, of Fury, he's better technically. Um, he had that ramrod jab when he jabbed. Um, he was the most consistent CompuBox guy around, right? Was it, was it when he landed like 20 jabs around, he won, and when he didn't, he lost. Or something um, like I think if he or if he just if he threw thirty in a round, there was there's some like line that, like right? that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course he had that great right hand behind it, and he was just even he was just both a stone cold killer in the ring, while also being so laid back outside of it that Fury's antics and mind games wouldn't have gotten to him. Um, I think the version of Riddick Bowe who beat Evander Holyfield the first time would have would have at the very least, giving him a good shot. Um, we never got to see how good Riddick Bowe, I think, could have been. But um, I think I definitely give George Foreman a very good chance, but not the early George Foreman, who I think might have gotten wound up right. by Fury and might have swung and worn himself out. You know, obviously, we have the Zaire template to think about. But I actually ironically think the older George Foreman, who was a bit more conservative, a bit more technically sound. I just see him going in there and just thudding Fury to the chest mm. with his jab all night. Um, you know, uh, uh, and also because a, a jab is important uh, weapon, Joe Lewis, I think would be interesting, and Larry Holmes, although now we're starting to get into real size disadvantages. Right. I think Vitaly would have done a better job than Vladimir. Agree. Uh, because even though he's not as good technically, he's just much more of a badass. Um and, you know, it's an obvious shout when you're talking heavyweights. But look, everything that Tyson Fury does, um, Muhammad Ali did better. Right. And, um, you know, it might be an awful fight to watch mm. Ali against Tyson Fury. There'd be probably a lot of fainting. But Ali would outspeed, outslick, outfaint, outbob a Fury. Fury would have to be the aggressor. And then I think Ali would eat him up. And I don't think the size difference would make much difference, especially if we're talking about the Muhammad Ali who beat Cleveland Williams. Um, yeah, I, I, I would pick them. So that's, that's my kind of list of guys who I would off the top of my head, at least give a, give a shout to. Yeah. Uh, I think we're fairly well aligned in, in our thinking here, you know, size isn't everything, but when you're a six foot nine, 270 yeah. pounder, who's smart and can move around pretty well, then, uh, yeah, it's a tough ask for the heavyweights of the past. Um, but you know, I still wouldn't count out any of the greats uh, against fury, like Joe Lewis at six, one, about 200 pounds would absolutely still have a chance at landing his bomb and knocking fury out. But I hate to say it, Probably the second greatest heavyweight ever, Joe Lewis. 
I'd have a hard time making him the favorite over Fury. Mm. Uh, it might be that there aren't any before Ali that, uh, that, that are necessarily the favorite, uh, but then I certainly would favor Ali. I think you could favor Foreman, whether you know the later version, as you pointed out, maybe is the, the one who'd have the better chance. Uh, Holmes. Mike Tyson is an interesting one. It, it depends yeah. on whether Tyson Fury is at all intimidated by the undefeated version of Iron Mike that right. everyone was intimidated by at the time. Um, but yeah, then you get into pretty big guys like Bo, Lewis, Fatale. I could see them beating Fury. I guess what I'd say is I don't think there's a heavyweight in history who has an easy time with Tyson Fury, but there are some who could give up 50 pounds and still be favored over him. Uh, But, you know, we still have a lot to learn about Tyson Fury. If he gets knocked out by Deontay Wilder in his next fight, I might feel silly about saying Fury is a favorite over Joe (laughs) Lewis. Um, If Fury beats Wilder again and then dominates Anthony Joshua or something... Maybe we start saying he beats everyone but Ali. It's you know it, it's a little early in his career to be informed enough to say with any confidence what happens between Fury and the all-time greats. Yeah, yeah. Redman's really put this like doubt in my head now. <laughs> After that, like like he's had his one moment and it's not going to happen again. But we shall see. Yep. All right. Thank you for all your questions. Uh, that will do it uh, for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back next week. And we can reveal what we have on tap for the month of April. Since there will, sadly, be no big Cinco de Mayo weekend fight this year, we're going to try to make up for that by spending April celebrating some of the biggest Cinco de Mayo weekend fights in modern boxing history. So that's four weeks of re-watching and re-analyzing major events and classic fights. Uh, We will start next week with one that wasn't quite an all-time great fight, but it was a huge and hugely impactful event. And that's Floyd Mayweather against Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, we'll have some special interviews around the fight. We'll offer our own memories and analysis. So you may want to rewatch the fight this week. Do some homework. About time you guys put some work <laughs> in. Uh, come prepared for next week's pod. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>